Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you guys to church and to Rock Fellowship. We're so happy to have you with us. And if you're watching online, wherever you're watching from, we are so glad that you are with us. Uh, we are at the end of our series, the series that we've been focusing on for the last three weeks. And the series is called Crash Course, Crash Course. And what this series has been about is about the reality, the unfortunate reality of spiritual crashes of spiritual lows, especially after uh, powerful experiences with God at, in, the, in these summer programs that a lot of us go to, a lot of our youth go to, uh, things like camp meeting and other events where you experience God in powerful ways and then inevitably for some people what happens is after that high, you just crash into a low. And this series has been about how do we understand the nature of these spiritual lows and spiritual crashes? Um, but this series is not really just about or for people who went to an event or had an experience with God this week. But if you've just been at a place of kind of spiritual stagnation, kind of at a place of spiritual lows just constantly, and maybe you're frustrated and you've tried things and you've come to church and you did what the pastor said, you opened the word and just nothing has changed and you're like, what is this? Like, do, does this even work? Should I even try anymore? Like, this series is really for you. And we've been talking about really important spiritual truths about the reality of the spiritual life. And uh, we started real quick, just a super quick overview. Pastor Jonathan began the message with a super foundational message that explained to us why we even have things such as spiritual lows. And he mentioned this thing called a results-based faith. A faith that is based on the result of what your faith will do or what God will do for you. And he said that really is the foundation for a, a spiritual life that is inconsistent and up and down. And where you feel like God is with you at this moment but not in the next. And that was a really, really important message. Last week, I really wanted to challenge everyone to realize that the things God does or the things we experience in these very powerful, high spiritual events are all available to us today, now, in this moment. And so we really have no excuses because the only thing different about those moments when we go for a week or a camp or retreat, the only difference is you. The only difference is your mentality and that in those places, you really have no choice but to seek first the kingdom of God. And when you seek first the kingdom of God, that's what happens. That's what experience you have. And then we come back, and now we have other uh, priorities and other commitments and competition for our lives. And that's really the only, the only difference. Now today, as we close this series, I think today is the most difficult message to preach. Uh, and, and the reason why is not because, oh, it's so like challenging, like the things that we're going to talk about today. It's not that. The reason why this is the most difficult message is because I am going to ask you to change. And that is why it's hard. Because change is hard, is it not? For some of you, change is extremely hard. And spiritual change, you could argue, is even harder. So the content of today's message is not crazy and it's not so challenging. But what I'm asking you to do today is I actually want you to change. I want tomorrow to be different than today, and I want Monday to be different than last Monday. And that's something that is completely out of my hands that I have to trust the Holy Spirit to do. So with that, I want to invite you guys to pray with me and ask him to do his thing. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for this day of worship, the Sabbath that we can come and rest and be uh, taken away from the frustrations and difficulties and business of life, and we can sit still for a moment. Be in your presence and acknowledge that your presence is here with us. But Father, today I ask with all my heart, surrendered completely to you, Father, that you do a work in this place. Because there are some of us that need to change and we need to do something different. 
different, Father. And our lives, our spiritual lives depend on it. So God, move powerfully today. I give it all to you. In your name we pray. Amen. When I kind of had this, like, a really powerful spiritual experience when I was 17 years old, I've shared this story before that it was 17 at this event, this week-long camp meeting thing that I went to that I really, like, gave my life to Jesus. Um, Along with the decision to really get serious about my relationship with God was also the decision to start reading the Bible. So I decided, God, I'm going to get serious about my faith. I'm going to, like, really put you first. I'm going to really seek you. And I'm going to do that because I'm going to decide that I'm going to start reading the Bible for real, like by myself, like I'm going to read it every day as best I can. And that was a decision that, that really happened. And when I think about kind of my own journey and my life, it wasn't just a decision to take Jesus seriously. That wasn't enough, actually. It was a decision that I followed up with it that I'm going to read the Bible that really made a difference for me and I think led me on the path that I'm on now today. Like I could, I could trace it all back to that decision and then the follow-through of that decision. The thing is, though, that week or that event, it's not like that was the first time where I feel like I experienced God. It wasn't. Like, I have had other experiences at other events at church, just like coming to church, uh, going to these things and listening to sermons and, and hearing the messages. Like, I've had those experiences where I felt like God moved powerfully, but nothing changed from those events and those experiences compared to this one when I was 17 years old. Right? In those times, I, I felt God like was speaking to me. I felt like he was grabbing my heart and, and trying to make me understand. And he's like reaching out to me. But nothing changed then. Nothing happened then. But at 17, something did. And I think I can really chalk it up to that decision to actually do something and to start reading the Bible. Here's what I want you guys to understand. If you are a Christian and you are a believer and you, you have a kind of an understanding of this like relationship with God, spiritual life thing, this is what I really want you to understand about your spiritual life. One of the most damaging things to spiritual growth is conviction without change. Let me say that one more time. One of the most damaging things to spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual momentum is conviction without change change. It's this feeling of like, oh, I learned something. God reached out to me. I heard something. I heard something that that I really felt like this message was just for me. Like, you guys ever had those moments where you came to church or you listened to a speaker or you listened to a, a, a podcast? You're like, wow, this is exactly what I needed at the exact time I needed it. I'm sure many of you have had those moments like, wow, that like really spoke to me. Wow, that really challenged me. Like I feel like God was really trying to speak to me. We've had these moments. Those are moments of conviction. But the most damaging thing to your spiritual growth is if you have a moment of conviction and do nothing about it. Conviction without change is one of the most damaging things to spiritual growth. When you learn something new, When you learn something new about God, someone presents the picture of God and it blows your mind. You're like, wow, that is awesome. I never heard that before. Or a a perspective that you've never thought about when it comes to a text or a story. Like, wow, that opens it up in, in amazing ways. That's so powerful. Or you're reminded of a truth that you remembered before, and you're like, wow, I really, really needed to remember that. I feel like my life is in a different place, and if I would just remember that, everything would be different. Like, those moments, those moments are really, really powerful. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do after those moments of conviction? Those moments are really, really special. 
I want you guys to understand that. Those moments are extremely special, and I don't want you take, to take them for granted. Because let's step back and think about what's happening in that moment when someone says something to you, either on stage at church or an event, or just a conversation with a friend. They say something to you that reaches you at the deepest part of your soul. Like, let's think about that. What's really happening? Jesus actually tells us what is happening when he describes this in John chapter 14. Just two verses here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So in those moments where you've been taught and you've been reminded of something that is extremely important to you and you have that moment of like, wow, that was the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, that was the Holy Spirit. He also says this a couple chapters later. When he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So again, if you have a moment where you understand the truth, where something that, that was unclear to you before and was murky and cloudy and you didn't really get it, but one day you heard something and it clicked and you're like, yeah, I get it now. Or, or you learned and are, are, are inspired. That moment, let's think about this, that is the Holy Spirit of God reaching you where you are. That is an extremely special opportunity. That's not random. That's not by chance. I want you to take a moment to think what's happening. The Holy Spirit is coming to you, you by name, you with your life, you with your issues. He's there with you, and he says, this is how I'm going to move right now, and I'm going to touch them. I'm going to grab them. The Holy Spirit is going to reach you. Those moments of conviction, those moments of inspiration are not random by chance. The Spirit is guiding things. The Spirit put those words in the speaker's mouth at that moment, and he gave you the opportunity to listen in that moment to create conviction in your heart. Do you guys understand? Like, this is crazy. You've prayed probably at some point in time in your life, I want to hear God, I want to see God, I want to know God, I want proof and I want evidence. Those are moments where the Holy Spirit is being real to you. God is like, I'm not going to be hidden, I'm not going to be confusing, I'm going to come out in the forefront, and I'm going to show myself to you. The Holy Spirit is going to move on you. That's what's happening in those moments. Like those moments of conviction where you feel something or where you understand something, and you're like, yes, that's good. That's God reaching out for you. Like this is a really, really special thing. So let's not take it for granted because it's an amazing opportunity. But here's the, the thing, though. When we have those moments of conviction, if we don't follow it up with any change or action, it actually neutralizes that moment. It invalidates that moment. It makes it like that moment where the Holy Spirit came to you in your life, where you were to reach you. It makes it like that thing never, ever happened. It's actually a net negative for your spiritual life if you have conviction and God brings forth conviction in your life and you do nothing about it. And you walk away just thinking, that was really good. That was great. I really liked that. I really understood something. And then your life doesn't change. It actually damages you. Jesus talks about this in a very well-known parable for a lot of people. And um, 
He talks about that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. And he gives this parable in Matthew chapter 7. And uh, most of you guys know it. If you're a kid, you sing a song about it and stuff like that. But this is what it says. As the end of his sermon, after he teached all these crazy things, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So if you hear the things, if you have conviction, if you understand, if something clicks and you get it now, and then you put them into practice, you are, according to Jesus, wise, which is a great thing to do. But on the flip side, Jesus talks about this other person who builds their house on sand. And so this first person who who hears it and understands it and has conviction, but also has change and action and behavior modification, whatever it is, who does something different because of it. It says when the rains come and the storms come, the house stood firm. And then he talks about this other person, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine has conviction, has inspiration, but does not put them into practice, in order does not change, conviction without change, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So if you have conviction without change, Jesus is saying that you are foolish. You are a fool. Now let me tell you a little bit about the, the word fool here. It, it's a Greek word that, um, it's, uh, the Greek word is moros. And we get an English word very similar to that. You guys know what it is? Moron. Right, So the, the Greek word for fool translates right now the word moron. But what's really interesting about this word is that the root of the word moros is the word nerve. Nerve, like your nerves in your body. It's like this sense, like the things in your body that allows you to sense things. And so the moros, a person who is a fool, it says it's like their senses don't work anymore. And, and, and it can be also translated as like you're dull. Right, so you have these things that allow you to feel and sense and understand, yet they don't really work anymore, so you don't respond to anything. It's like if, you, if you, your nerves and your fingers didn't work, and then as you got close to fire, you just kept touching it and put your hand in the fire. Right? A normal person whose senses work, when you get near the fire, you pull your hand back because you feel it and it hurts and you respond. But a moros, a fool... Their senses are dull that don't really work. I feel like one of the best ways to, use, to translate this in English is like, does your brain even work, right? Like Jesus is like, if you, if you listen to the things I'm saying, you had conviction and think something stirring in your heart, and you're like, yes, 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 amen, hallelujah, and you do nothing, is your brain even working? Like this is not a simple like, oh, you're a fool, ah, ha, 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 No. It's like something is wrong with your brain. Something is not working. Your senses, your, your nerves are dulled. And then I feel like, you know, this, this story, this parable, we turned it into a song, right? And, and most of you guys know the song. Miles loves this song, and he loves to sing it. But I feel like because we turned it into a song, which is a great song, and it helps me to remember the story, it helps kids remember the story, awesome. But because we turned it into a children's song, I don't think... We realize the seriousness of this parable, right? Because we sing the song, and we're like, and the house on the sand went smash. And we're like, ah, the house went smash. Ah, oh, you foolish man. And we imagine the foolish man is like, oh, gosh darn it. I should have built my house on a rock. I guess next time I'll do that. Ah, I'm so foolish. But let's think about the seriousness of this parable. What happened to this man's house? It's gone. Like he has no house anymore. 
right? All the, the money and energy and power and everything he invested into building this house, probably everything he has is there. And then the rains came and destroyed it all. He has nothing anymore. His entire life is ruined. Like, this is not like a happy, ha, ha, ha. Oh, you're so foolish. Oh, I know. No, his life is over. Everything he's worked for, gone. This is what we call a catastrophe. This is a disaster. This is a life-ruining moment. Sorry if I ruined the song for you guys. <laughs> I was like thinking about it, like, man, I ruined this song for people. Because it seems actually really sad now. Because his life is ruined completely because he built his house on sand. And so here's what I want you to understand. When we have conviction without change, it hurts you spiritually. When you hear the word of God and you're, in, and you're, you're, you're excited about it, but you do nothing, it hurts you, and it hurts your spiritual life. Because what happens is, the more you have conviction without change, the less you will begin to have conviction. Because the more you'll be like, yeah, I heard that before, yeah, that was good, been there, done that, heard that, but did nothing, didn't really mean anything, it just kind of felt nice in the moment, and so you start to become hard-hearted, and you become, and this is the biggest problem, you become desensitized to the Holy Spirit. The more you have conviction without change, the more desensitized to the Holy Spirit you will become. And to use Jesus' words in the image of this parable, what you really need to understand, this is why this is so bad and so serious, is becoming desensitized to the Holy Spirit is spiritually catastrophic. It's not a light thing. If you become desensitized to the Holy Spirit, if you are unable, you are no longer able to sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you into truth or convicting you or giving you direction, it is spiritually catastrophic for you. Your house will crash. And so this is so important that we understand that when we have these events, when we listen to the messages and we have those moments, don't take them for granted. That's the Holy Spirit moving on you. And those are opportunities, positive, meaningful opportunities for spiritual momentum, to grow closer to Jesus, to love him more, to understand more, to have greater understanding of truth that brings freedom. But if we don't change and if we don't act, it will make us blind and deaf to the voice of God. And it makes you unmoved by the unconditional love of Jesus. And it makes you apathetic towards the cross. The more you have conviction without change, the more apathetic we often become. The more disillusioned we often become. See, what I want you to understand is that the best neutralizers of God's work in your life is what I call God-acknowledging passivity. The best neutralizers of God's work, what God is doing in your life right now, the best way to stop it is to have God acknowledging passivity. And what I want you to notice by that is I didn't say God ignoring or God neglecting. It's not those experiences where we're like, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I understand, I don't know, I'm going to ignore God. No, it's those moments where we're like, yeah, 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 that was good, God, like that, you spoke to me, I heard that, and then you respond with passivity. That is one of the greatest neutralizers of what God is trying to do in your life. 
when you like what you hear but do absolutely nothing about it. You know, after I preach, a number of you are so kind and always so encouraging. You're like, Pastor, thank you so much for that message. That was a great message. That really spoke to me. And, like, I love that, right? And, like, to be honest, that's so encouraging for me. You know, like, if, if you guys have never spoken up on stage, it's a very vulnerable thing that we do here, right? And so when we have those moments of encouragement, you know, that we especially sense are, like, really meaningful and genuine, like, it's really powerful and it really encourages us. And so, like, you know, please, you know, by all means, when you feel moved to do that, do that. But can I be honest with you for a second? Every time someone says that, and I'm not going to do it because it's going to make things awkward, I think, but I want you to know where my mind and my heart is. Every time someone is like, thank you so much, that was such a great message, so powerful, man, it really spoke to me, the question I always have in my mind is, so what are you going to do about it? That's what I want to ask you, but I'm not because I'm scared. <laughs> so that's why I'm doing it here. Now, do I want you to stop saying thank you and appreciate encouraging? No, please continue to do that. I need it, okay, I need it. I'm a very insecure person, I need it, right? But I want you to know that when you ask that question, know that what I'm wondering and hoping is that something would actually change in your life, that you wouldn't just walk away from church being like, man, Pastor's such a great preacher. Oh, that's a great message. Oh, so wonderful. Oh, really moved me. Walk away and do something. Because conviction without change is one of the most damaging things you can do to your spiritual life. It is spiritually catastrophic. And the opposite is true, and this is what's the good news, is the best drivers for spiritual momentum is God-honoring change. So the biggest neutralizer is God-acknowledging passivity, but one of the best drivers for spiritual momentum and growth is God-honoring change. And to be honest, it doesn't even matter what change you make. You know, Pastor Jonathan and I, we work really hard to think about, okay, how can we end the sermon with practical teaching, something you can apply, something you can actually do, questions you can ask, you know, things that you can develop. We, we try really hard. But to be honest, it doesn't matter if you do what we say you should do from up here. It really doesn't matter. The power of it is just simply that you respond and change something, anything. It doesn't matter. But the, a powerful driver of spiritual growth is God honoring change. That you take a moment to think, okay, now that I've heard this, God, I feel like you want me to change something. I don't know what it is. Can you show me what that is? Maybe you want me to stop something. Maybe you want me to start something. It could be big. It could be small. It really doesn't even matter. It's just the act of responding to the Holy Spirit and changing something in your life that will propel your spiritual growth forward, upward, and higher. Just changing something. For me, when I was 17, it was making that decision, I'm going to read the Bible. That was it for me, just making that decision. And I followed through, but sometimes I failed. But I followed through, and then sometimes I failed. I wasn't perfect. I'm still not perfect. But it was just that, 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 that act of responding that makes all the difference in the world. So all I want to do is I want to ask you to just make any God-honoring change in your life this week anything. It could be, you can decide to read the Bible. You can decide to pray more or, or pray at a specific time. Like, pick a time. Like, at 12, 30 p.m., I'm at lunch. I'm not working. You know, I'm not doing anything else. It's just me. I'm going to pray at 12, 30 p.m. Like, just something like that. And just pray this prayer. Like, God, I just want to acknowledge that you exist and I exist. Thanks for life. Amen. Just maybe something as simple as that. Maybe it's simple, something as simple as, as changing what you listen to you on your commute or on your way to school. 
It could be as simple as what you listen to when you exercise, or you used to listen to music, or p- political podcasts, or whatever, murder crime podcasts, whatever. Maybe, maybe once in a while, or maybe you change it up and listen to a religious podcast, or a Christian or spiritual podcast, or a sermon or something, right? Like, just change something. You know what I think is actually one of the most powerful God-honoring changes you can make that's so small and so easy? If you start taking notes during sermons at church. <laughs> no, really though, I really think that if you bring a notebook, right, and I feel like a notebook, not your phone, because it's too distracting, you got too much stuff going on, you get a notification, you check that, and you're like, you're off, right? A notebook with a pen, and as you listen to the sermons, like write down notes, there's something really powerful and like engaging. When you do that, like the sermon is different when you engage with that way. So maybe that's the move. Maybe that's the change. It's simple, small stuff. Just make any God-honoring change. And that is one of the best drivers for spiritual growth in your life. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because for oftentimes when people have a, a moment of spiritual conviction, it comes with also a moment of spiritual decision, right? Oh, God, you're so good, so I'm going to do this now, or I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to stop watching that, or I'm going to stop going there, or I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'm going to start being in small group, whatever, right? And we make those decisions, but oftentimes for many people, you crash and you get back into the old habits, and you get back into the things that you did before that you said you wouldn't, and now you do them again. Or you said you would start this thing and then you did it for like two days or three days and you're like, ah, I'm busy now. Like I got stuff to do. Sorry, God. I'll start up next week. And then you don't, right? Like that experience is something we always experience. And it oftentimes happens after these moments of spiritual excitement and, 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 and conviction. And so what are we supposed to do when we're in those moments? Because those are very discouraging places to be. It makes you question everything that happened. It makes you question God. It makes you question the spirit. It makes you question the truth that you learned or understood. What are we supposed to do? Now, I think a deeper question, a really difficult question we have to ask before that to understand the answer, what we're supposed to do, is actually this question. Why do we sin? Why do we sin? Big question, right? Big question, probably lots of different answers, lots of different opinions. Why do we sin? I think one of the best teachings on why we sin is in Romans chapter 7. And I think Romans chapter 7 is the most, one of the most relatable chapters in the entire Bible, okay? If you feel like the Bible is irrelevant and has nothing to do with your life, read Romans 7. Actually, you don't have to because we're going to read it right now. But you will see, like, Romans 7 is one of the most relatable verses, chapters in the entire Bible, okay? And Paul is talking about sin. He's talking about his own experience. Listen to what he says. Verse 15, so, so relatable. I do not understand what I do. Come on. How many of you can relate to that? I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Right? Like, I don't want to yell at my kids, but I do. 
I don't know why I do what I do. I don't want to fight with my wife or my husband. I just said it. I don't know why I said it. It just came out. Why do I do the things I do? I don't want to get a D or an F on this test. I want to study, but I just couldn't. I don't know why. I just didn't. Right? Like, is this not the most relatable verse in the whole Bible? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate... I do. And this is what Paul says, right? He's going to unpack this in the next few verses. He says, this is his situation. I'm confused. I don't know why I do the things I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What he means by this is, if I do what I do not want to do, I understand that the law is good because the law is speaking truth to me. Because the law is telling me, Chris, what you are doing is not good. These are the things that you do not want to do. If I do those things, then the scriptures, the law teaches me, you have to stop. This is wrong. The scripture is presenting truth to me so that I might change. Like, it's not just trying to make me feel better. It's trying to make me better. So the law is good because it reminds me that the things that I'm doing are harmful to me and are hurtful and I need to stop. So it's good. And then he goes in to explain why we sin, right? And that was the question. Why are we in a situation where we do things that we don't know why we do them? We hurt people and we don't know why we hurt them, why we respond the ways we do. He explains it. He says, as it is, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And this is really important. It is sin living in me. The reason I sin is because sin is living in me, is how Paul understands kind of this scenario. The reason I don't know what I do and keep doing things that I don't want to do is because sin is living in me. And he, he repeats this in verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. So this is what is happening. This is what Paul is saying. This is what I see in my life. This is the reality of my life. Although I want to do good, which I think is a lot of you, evil is right there with me. Right? I want to do the right thing. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to be selfless. I want to stop being so similar. I want to do good, but... Oh, Sin is living in me. Evil is right there with me. That's why I end up doing the things that I don't want to do. So here's what I want you guys to understand. Here's what I want you guys to understand. The reason you sin is not because temptation is so strong. The reason you sin is not because you're weak and you need more willpower. That's actually not what he says. The reason you sin, the reason I sin, the reason we keep making the mistakes and going to the things that we know we shouldn't be going to and doing the things, the reason why we consistently and constantly disobey is not because it's so tempting and we want it so bad. Now that may be the case where we do want something really bad and we still make that decision, but that's not the real reason, according to Paul, why you sin and why you make those mistakes. It's not because you have no willpower, to be honest, I don't have much willpower. And I bet a lot of you be like, yeah, I don't really have much willpower. I'm not that disciplined in life. But here's the thing. Even if you were the most disciplined person, do you think you would never sin? Probably not. So it's not a matter of willpower. The reason you sin is not because of things. According to Paul, the reason you sin is sin is living inside of you. 
Like you have an unwelcome guest in your home and he will not leave. He's not getting the hints. When you're like, oh, I guess it's time to go to bed. He's still there. He's not going anywhere. You have a squatter in your home and he came with the house. When you bought the house, you didn't realize, but he was there and he's like, hey, welcome home. I'm not going anywhere. You have sin living in you. That's why you sin. It's not because you're weak. It's not because the temptations are so tantalizing. It's because sin is living inside of you. And this is so important to understand why we sin and why we do things that we don't want to do. It's because sin is living in us. He continues on as he gets closer to the solution. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I have conviction. I trust God. I know what God wants for me is good and better. I know that he wants me to to spend my time this way, and I know it's better to spend my time this way. I get it. I have the conviction. I have the inspiration. I have the truth. I know, I know, I trust. Like, I get it in my brain. I get it. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. I see another reality waging war against the law of my mind that has conviction and truth and understanding, making me a prisoner of the law of sin and work in me. This is the reality of life is what Paul says. Sin lives in you and gets you to do things that you know you need to stop doing and prevents you from doing things you know you should be doing. It's not because you're weak. It's because sin is living in you. It's not because you don't have discipline. It's because sin is living in you and eating your food and using your bathroom and making all the towels dirty and gross. Like he's watching your TV and sin is just in your life. It's in you. So if we, if that's the truth, the solution then is not more willpower and strength. The solution then is not, I need to work harder at this. I can beat this. I just have to train myself to have more willpower. So what is the solution? If the reason we sin is because sin is living in me, the solution is simple, right? Get the sin out of you. This is what Paul says as he concludes this, this section, and he gives the solution. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? From this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the Apostle Paul, who acknowledges that the reason we sin and we mess up is sin is living in us, the only solution is rescue and deliverance. It's not strength and willpower, it's rescue and deliverance. Paul understands there's nothing in me that is strong enough to beat the sin in my life. If I go toe-to-toe with sin by myself, I will lose. If you go toe-to-toe with sin in your life, you will lose. You can't beat it on your own. And Paul says, I am a wretched man. The only thing that I can do is get rescued and delivered by my heavenly Father. That is the only solution to the problem of sin in my life is rescue and deliverance. I need to receive his freedom. I need to receive his love and I need to receive his way and his acceptance and his identity for me that I am, a re- I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Not that I have the power in myself to overcome these weaknesses because we don't. We don't. He says the only solution is rescue and deliverance and freedom in Jesus. 
Well, you have to understand this is really, really, really important. And I said a lot, I said a lot of things are really important, but this is really important. When it comes to sin in your life, when it comes to the sin living in your life, here's what you got to know. The primary goal of sin is not to get you to do bad things. The primary goal of sin is to separate you from Jesus. That's what sin wants to do to you. Getting you to do something bad, just, just like one of the battles. And like, it's not great, but here's what you have to understand. It's not the end. The goal of sin is not to get you to do something bad. The goal of sin is to separate you from Jesus. In Ezekiel 14, you have, we have this story where the elders of Israel are coming to God or coming to the prophet to hear from God. And then God says, like, why are these guys even wanting to hear what I have to say? They have idols in their hearts. They have set up idols and they are sinning against me. And so what he says is, I'm going to give them a response. I'm going to give them a response that they need to hear. And he says this, and, and then Ezekiel gives this message. He's talking to Ezekiel, and he says, this is the reason. This is the kind of message I'm going to give. And the, why I'm going to do it. He says, that I may lay hold the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through their idols. Estranged is a relational word of separation. They are separated from me through their idols and through their sins. In this situation, sin is winning because it's separating them from God. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, the Apostle Paul constantly says his ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. It's like a relational thing, bringing people together, bringing God and his people together. Atonement in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, it's really about relational reconciliation. It's not about religious activity. It's about God and his people coming together. The goal of sin is not to get you to do something bad. The goal of sin is to separate you from Jesus. So what happens is when we sin and we mess up, the temptation is I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to fix myself and then I can go to Jesus. I'm going to fix myself and then I have something to present to God. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to beat it. I'm going to overcome this habit or this addiction and then I can go to God. But when you do that, it is separating you from Jesus. When we do that, what we're doing is we're giving sin a double win. We're allowing sin to do the thing, to get us to do the bad thing, but then it's all, we're also allowing sin to achieve its primary goal, to separate me from Jesus, because I'm saying I don't need Jesus to fix it. I'll just fix it myself, and then I'll go to him. Do not give sin a double win in your life. Do not give sin a double win in your life. You do not have the power overcome it. It is only by the blood of Jesus, the rescue and deliverance of Jesus that we can overcome the sin in our lives. That's the solution. That's the only thing we can do. It's not, I know, it's, it's not that you're weak. It's not that you're, you're, you're so easily to fall into temptation. It's because sin is living in your life. And the only way to get rid of it, rid of it is through the blood of Jesus. It's to, to accept what he says about you, to accept his gift of salvation, to accept the truth that you don't have to follow sin in your life, that you can have a different way, that you can have a different lore. And that's how we can be freed from this. And so his solution is, as we, see, as we read in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. This is the answer. If you sin in your life and you don't know why you do what you do, this is the answer. If you are spiritually crashing and you don't know why you made that decision, that commitment, but nothing's happening, this is the answer. 
Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. When I don't know what I'm doing, when I'm doing sin and I'm doing bad things and I'm disobeying and I feel shame and guilt, remember, come boldly to the throne of grace and he will give you his mercy and you will find the grace to help us when you need it the most. Or as like the message version, I love this, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take mercy, accept the help. This is the answer. This is what you do when you crash. Do not wait. You cannot overcome it on your own. Run to the Father. Run to Jesus. Come boldly to the throne. And it's a throne not characterized by shame or guilt or fix yourself or get your act together before you get here. You better look right and do right or you can't come. It's not a, great, it's not a throne characterized by that. It's a throne characterized by what? Grace. And come running, come boldly, come confidently. And what you will find there in that moment, when you go to God in that moment, is you will find a loving Savior ready and willing and able to rescue you and deliver you. So as we close this series, as we close this message, whether you are crashing or soaring, whether you're at a high or a low, whether you're in the mountain or the valley, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive the help you need. And he is ready and willing to rescue you and deliver you from all that you need to be freed from. That is the answer. That is the solution. Do not wait. You can't fix yourself. Don't give sin a double win in your life. Walk right up to him and receive the mercy and grace of Jesus. And as we close, if you were convicted in any way, let's realize what happened. God came here in this moment, sat beside you, sat in front of you, hovered above you, and touched you and reached out to you. God himself did that. The Holy Spirit did that. That moment of conviction, if you were moved in any way, that moment, moment of inspiration that was God reaching out to you, God was here. And he did something in your life today. Make a change. Make some God-honoring change in your life. It could be the smallest thing, but there is power in simply that decision. Make some, any God-honoring change today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for this message. Lord, um, I don't know, I feel like someone really needed to hear something like this today. God, I know, and I'm so thankful, Father, that we can come to the throne of grace with boldness, Lord. And there are a lot of things that tell us that we shouldn't. We have pride, we have we have um, arrogance, we have shame and guilt that keep us from going to you. But God, I pray and hope that just in this moment, Father, we would come to you, just receive your salvation, receive your grace, and receive your mercy. And Father, from that, let that be the starting point for any change in our lives. It's not willpower or discipline. It's not our own strength. It's you and you alone, God. So Father, I, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room, each person watching, that something would come to their mind when you think about God honoring change. And then I pray that something would move and something would be different this week. 
And Father, I pray that you would work with that and use that change to, to, to have greater spiritual momentum in our lives. Thank you, God, for reaching us and teaching us. Thank you for not giving up on us, even if we've crashed. Let us know that we can run to you today. And what we receive is not condemnation, shame, or guilt, but love and mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.